0: uh today's reading is matthew five, thirteen through 16 it says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt has become tasteless how can it be made salty again it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We have, we've just spent the last three weeks, just to catch you up if you haven't been here during that time, studying what are called the Beatitudes. And those are those very famous sayings that Jesus used to kick off the Sermon on the Mount Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those are the Beatitudes. And we've studied them for three weeks, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And as we've studied them, here's what we've learned a little bit, anyway. First, these are the Beatitudes are multiple characteristics of one kind of person. In other words, Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, there's this kind of person that I'll describe that has these characteristics and one day that person is going to receive this one multifaceted blessing that God will lavish on that person and in in real sense, summary fashion he says this on the left here's the blessed person the person i'm talking about is poor in spirit they mourn they understand they're broke before god they have nothing that they can give god that god would give them what they need They mourn that, they're meek, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're merciful, they're pure in heart, they're peacemakers, they're persecuted, they're insulted because they follow me, Jesus said, and they have all kinds of evil things said about them. Jesus said that kind of person one day will receive this multifaceted blessing by God. The kingdom of heaven belongs, already belongs to that kind of person. They're going to be completely comforted they're going to inherit the earth they're going to be completely fully finally eternally satisfied they'll be shown mercy they will see god they'll be called god's child their reward is is great in heaven and last week if you want to learn more about what those things mean get on our website and and listen to the, the last few sermons but last week, we sort of addressed this question. What should motivate me to live beatitudinally? And that's a word I just made up, but I'm going to use it because I like it. But what, what should motivate me to live beatitudinally? And here's what we looked at last week. Most people try to do it this way. Most religions really try to do it this way. My main hunger and thirst is for blessing. What I really want is this kind of stuff. I want the stuff God does for people. So I've surely I, if I'm good, God will give me good stuff. He'll give me blessing. He'll congratulate me. He'll increase my happiness. He'll improve my circumstances. And most people... And live as if, and the, and the, the basis of every major religion is this. If I'm good, if I'm righteous, I'll get blessing. And the problem with that is it has the wrong controlling desire in the heart of a person. Their main hunger and thirst is for blessing. And Jesus said the blessed person must hunger and thirst after righteousness. Trying to be good in order to gain blessing never, ever works. When the controlling desire of your heart is for blessing, hanging on to righteousness so that God does good for you never works. Here's why. First, God's standards for what righteousness is are so high that we can never be good enough that God would owe us or give us blessing. But second, and this is more where the rubber meets the road, my controlling desire is for blessing. What I really want is the congratulations and improved circumstances and increased happiness. When I feel like life is not giving me blessing, God is not giving me blessing, and I feel like there's some other way that's not necessarily righteous, but it would lead to something that feels like blessing, I will go chase what feels like blessing and let go of his righteousness. Because the controlling desire of my heart in this scenario is I want. Congratulations, increased happiness, improved circumstances. So from sort of a theological perspective, Jesus says our motivation for living beatitudinally must be a heart that has this hunger and thirst. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness, the righteousness that he gives for Jesus and his righteousness. And the awesome thing about that, this is, that's the secret that unlocks the hard stuff about Christianity. We said last week, you ever wonder, how can Jesus ask you to, to be good to your enemies, to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, never return evil for evil, insult for insult? Isn't that impossible? It is unless my driving hunger and thirst of my soul is him and his righteousness. Because I can chase that when my circumstances fall apart. But if I chase blessing when my circumstances fall apart, I will leave him to address my circumstances. So, theologically, my motivation to live beatitudinally must be a motivation for him and his righteousness. But, however... There is another why. There's another reason why we as Christians should desire to live beatitudinally. Live out the beatitudes. Jesus is going to tell us what that is this morning by telling us we're supposed to be salt and light. I believe today's passage, it's a little one. I think it's the appendix to the Beatitudes. He's told us about the Beatitudes. And Jesus knows, because he's smart, Jesus knows if people start to live out these Beatitudes, they're going to be very, very different from most people. How easy is it to go through life being different from most people? Some of us have a lot of practice. It's hard to be the one who's different. And so here's what I think Jesus knew would start to happen. One of two things. First, followers of Jesus, because it's hard to be different, tend to just isolate, congregate around other followers of Jesus who are like them so that they can be the same as someone and feel safe. That happens in individual lives. It happens in big movements. It happens to whole churches who, who fail to be salt and light. And before long, there's, there's just nobody left. It, it happens in movements in Christianity. Do You know, if we would go back a few centuries, the varsity Christians, the real Christians, the spiritual Christians, the ones who really gave their lives to Jesus... They were people who were supposed to, like, go leave society and go live a monastic lifestyle. Um, Like live in a monastery, live in a compound. Right? Those were the real Christians. It's easy to see why that would sort of make sense. Because it's easier to feel like you're being a Christian if you're only around other Christians. And that's important. But if, if that's all we're ever around is other Christians... We ignore our purpose. And Jesus knew of this danger. That's why he tells us about the Beatitudes. He knows that will make you different. And immediately he says, but you better not keep to yourselves or you're ignoring your purpose. The other option besides isolation, would you mute that one for me? The other option besides isolating Christians is, you know know what a secret agent is? Like the real definition of a secret agent. I don't mean like James Bond, although I think he was a secret agent, but everybody knew he was a secret agent, so it wasn't really a secret. Here's a secret agent. um, It's not illegal at all for someone to live in a different country and work for their home country. You know, you're aware, right? There are lots of people who live in the United States of America and they're on the payroll of their home country or they're on the payroll of a business in a foreign country. That's not illegal at all. As long as you make that clear, as long as that's not a secret, as long as you register in the open. I'm I'm a foreign agent, but that's not a secret, It becomes illegal if I just pretend to be a regular citizen, but really I work for some other country. That's a secret agent, and that's illegal. Here's the other danger when somebody becomes a Christian, they try to be a secret agent. It's hard to be different. so. Instead of isolating with only other Christians, I want to live out in the world like a secret agent where I just try to fit in. I, just, I don't want to be different. I don't want anybody to find out that I really work for someone else. I'm on the blessing payroll of a different king. And knowing these two dangers, Jesus gives the Beatitudes and he says, before you isolate or before you make yourself a secret agent, I want you to know your purpose. I, I didn't save you just because, I, just because I wanted you to have all those blessings we talked about. As always, this is not just about you. My salvation is not just about me. Jesus said, there, I have another purpose. And, and to illustrate his point, because he's a storyteller, Jesus said, I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. And this morning I want to explain to you what Jesus' audience would have understood those things to mean and then help you understand what that means for us today. We start in verse 13. This is Matthew 5, verse 13, where Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. This is immediately after those beatitudes. But if the salt loses its saltiness, How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. First thing I want you to know about this little salt of the earth bit, um, I want you to know that the emphasis Jesus puts on the word you. I'm going to spare you the Greek lesson this morning, although I've got one keyed up if you want it, but I'm going to keep myself from that. Uh, Jesus had different ways available to say you are. And I just want you to know he emphasizes the word you. And this is a plural you. This is a y'all. He tells the Beatitudes. And then he says, you guys, all y'all, you're the salt of the earth. And he's very emphatic on the you. Now what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? We have to understand what salt was and wasn't used for in the first century. To understand what his original audience would have heard in the first century salt was used differently than it's used today salt was not primarily used to season food i know all the graphics i use today have salt shakers on it but that is not a they didn't have salt shakers setting on the table back in the day salt was primarily a preservative right? in this in this age before refrigeration uh Jesus disciples were fishermen right many of them and uh When they caught a big haul of fish and they gutted those bad boys, they couldn't put it in the freezer. What'd they do? They packed them in salt because salt stopped the rotting process so that they could be preserved. People didn't... And then if most of your meals were bread, which you didn't salt to make... Tastes better and if you ever did get meat it had been probably packed in salt you didn't need to shake more salt if you like open a bag of beef jerky and pull out a slab and feel the need to add salt to that you have sodium control issues or something because you have problems they didn't, they didn't use salt that way so here's what Jesus's audience would have heard him saying you are you all are the preserving agent this world needs. There's a world rotting away out there and the people walking around this earth need you the way meat needs salt. You are what slows down the decay. That's quite a statement. So how do we as Christians slow down the decay in the world? Well, I I think two ways, really. There's a short-term slowing down of the decay and a long-term slowing down of the decay. and the short-term perspective, I don't believe, though I've heard this taught this way, I don't believe Jesus is talking about entering the political arena and getting certain things outlawed, voting in the righteous and voting out the sinners type of thing. Democracy was not some, it wasn't saying, you know, vote for Nero. You know, there was no yard signs or anything. It's not the way it worked. We sh- but we should be salt and light in whatever arena we are in. So there is an application there. But he, this, is, this is about the, living out the Beatitudes wherever we are. How does that slow down the rot? Slow down the decay? Short term, here's the way that works. We think back through the Beatitudes. I can preserve relationships. I can preserve organizations. Slow down the decay of, an, of the place I work if I live out the Beatitudes, if I am merciful when people would expect me to go after vengeance, if I am a peacemaker rather than a pot stirrer, right? If I, even when I am the one that has all kinds of evil spoken against me and I do not resort, I do not lose my pursuit of righteousness, that can preserve my circles that makes sense in the short term and be this is not in my notes this is just for free but let me tell you something chase county needs christians to start living the beatitudes because we are one drama filled whatever after another right now because we want because nobody can tell me what to do And that's not, I can stand up to this, and we are one rebellion after another. And I, for one, feel like it is time some Christians start being the salt of the earth and slowing down the rot rather than stirring the pot. That was for free, sorry. There's a longer-term perspective of this, too, though. From an eternal perspective, there is only one way anyone will be preserved eternally. Correct? That is, if they come to understand their their sin and their need for a Savior, and that Jesus died for their sin, and that He will give, if I believe in Him, He will give His righteousness to me. And Jesus is saying, when you live out the Beatitudes... And you don't lose your hope when your circumstances go south because your heart is not set on blessing. Your heart is set on him and his righteousness. And, and your hope is untouchable and your, your peace is unshakable. That makes Jesus intriguing. And someone may say, man, I, I, I want that. And then someone might become preserved eternally when they are pointed toward the one who is your hope. I think that's what Jesus is after. And, and to drive his point home, we are the preserving agent this world needs because it is in decay. Jesus, to, to drive his point home, he presents something that I think is an impossibility to prove a point. See this, this part right here where he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, your Bible might say loses its flavor or loses its taste, how can it be made salty again? You just well throw that stuff out in the street. He's, he's saying something that's not possible to prove a point. I am not a chemist, though I did some chemistry homework last night with my daughter. Um, I'm not a chemist, but like salt is salty. Hey, there's the truth you came here to hear this morning right there. And salt can't be not salty. If you have salt, guess what it's going to taste like? Salt. Right? You can't have salt that's not good for preserving meat. It's what salt is. Okay? And well, you can dissolve it in water. Yeah, but then it's it's not salt anymore. It's sodium and chloride ions. We looked that up last night to make sure. Right? If you have salt, it's salty. Here's what Jesus is saying. How bizarre and unnatural would it be if you had salt, but it like wasn't what it is. It wasn't salty, it wasn't what it was created to be. You just will throw that stuff out on the street. You hear his point? Jesus says, I've created you to live beatitudinally so that you can be my preserving agent in this world. And when you are either isolated or a secret agent, you're like salt that's not salty. I created you to be a preserving agent. And if you're not, you're not performing, you're not performing your purpose. It's bizarre. It's unnatural. Salt is salty. Salty. You were saved, you were redeemed, you you are being made into something different than what you were. But it's not just for you. It's to be salty, be a preserving agent in the world. Verse 14 Jesus changes metaphors, he does not change points. He says this in verses 14 and 15. You are, same emphasis on you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, they light a lamp, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, if this first part weren't in the gospel of Matthew, and I started preaching this, you might want to fire me. If I stood up here and told you, I am the light of the world. Right? It would be time to change pastors. That sounds uh, sacrilegious. Because elsewhere, Jesus said that he is the light of the world. Right? And Jesus is the light people need to see. Right? He could have said the same thing about himself. He could have called himself the salt of the earth. Because ultimately, he's the preserving agent. Right? But he applies these metaphors to us. You are the light of the world. A little different meaning. We, as the church, are supposed to be what allows other people to see what they need to see. To make his point, Jesus, again, gives an impossibility. He says here, a a city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you planned out a settlement back then in the day, you know, you're going to make a town you don't want to make it vulnerable where marauders can come in and steal everything, right? So you got two choices. You can put it in a forest or in a valley so that it's hidden and out of the way, or you can put it up on a hill where it's easily defended. But you don't put a city on a hill hoping it's hidden. That would be unnatural and ridiculous. In this context, this point's pretty clear: Jesus, I, "I didn't make you what I've made you to hide you. You're the light of the world that helps people see what they need to see. We're not isolated, and we're not secret agents. Next, Jesus says this, very famously: "Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl," said so they." Light a lamp so that people can see stuff. It's like Jesus said this to his audience that day. If you ever went over to someone's house and it got dark, so the owner got up and lit his lamp, then he took a bowl and put it over the lamp, you'd think that guy got kicked in the head or something. Wouldn't you? Because that would be ridiculous. Lamps are lit so that people can can see. And Jesus says, I want you to live like a lamp, lit by its owner, to help people see. Again, I want you to know what people would have thought about, though. This is not, Jesus isn't talking about someone who flips a light switch and this massive crystal chandelier lights up that makes people go, oh, look at that. No, we're talking about a one-room house, a little terracotta oil lamp that everybody in the world has, no big deal. The light he's talking about is important, but it's not lit so people notice the light. It's lit so people can see what they need to see. Let me give you this illustration. I want you to think of a time right now where you went over to someone's house and had a great time in the evening. Maybe you had a good meal, you laughed, you played games if you're into that sort of thing, whatever it is. Can you think of a time like that? It was such a good time you told someone else about it or you got in the car and you talked to your significant other. Can you think of a time like that? My guess is you didn't get in the car and go, wow, did you see the lights in there? You know what my favorite part of the evening was? when he turned those lights on and those little cans lit up and I just couldn't stop looking at them they were so awesome no one has ever said that ever now were the lights important? yes if it weren't for those lights and everything got dark like I know you people you'd have just went to sleep right? I would have too the evening would have been over the lights were important, but not they weren't important to be noticed themselves. They were important so that people could see what they, th- that allowed the rest of the evening almost without being noticed. And that's what Jesus says his application is for this salt and light passage. I love when, when Jesus gives us the application, I don't have to think about it. Verse 16, he he tells his audience, be the preserving agent, be the light of the world. It's unnatural and bizarre if you are not what I am making you to be, a preserving agent out there and helping, allowing people to see what they need to see, which is me. And Jesus is going to tell us the manner in which we're supposed to live and why we're supposed to live that way in the last verse. This is our application. He says, in the same way, you let your light shine before men. Why? So they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. How do we live? In the same way. In the same way as what? In the same way as that lamp. That the master of a house lights. So people can see the lamp? No, so people can see what, they, what they're doing. So the evening can continue. So they can see what they need to see. Live like that. He could have said the same thing about salt. Live like salt. Here's the thing about salt. It's never the main event. You've never gone to a meal and got, and got in the car and said, Man, did you taste the salt in there. That was the best salt you've ever, I've ever had. Right? You know what? The salt was so good. Next time, we're not going to cook anything else. We're just going to serve the salt. We just got done with sweet corn season. I hope you had some. You enjoyed it. You loved it. I'll bet you put salt on it. If not, there's probably something wrong with you. Sorry, honey. But, right? But you didn't think next year, I don't even want the sweet corn. I'll just take the salt. The salt helps you enjoy the main thing somebody eating a piece of meat which they never got that had been preserved in salt. They, they were thankful for the meat. The salt just allowed them to enjoy the main thing. Jesus says, that's how you live the Beatitudes. Why do I live the Beatitudes? Why am I merciful? Why am I all those things that we've been talking about for a month? So that people can look at me and go, wow, that Matt Maxwell is a swell guy. Right? I, man, that clay is so... He is such a just good, righteous, salt-of-the-earth guy. Is that, is that why we live out the Beatitudes? No! In fact, the beginning of the next chapter, Jesus is going to seem to contradict himself. Here's our last verse today, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they can see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. In less than a chapter, Jesus is going to say this, you better be careful practicing your deeds where other people can see them. Because if you do it to get noticed by other people, you you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. You, You hear the almost contradiction there? There's two ways to do good works, righteous deeds, live beatitudinally in the world first one on the bottom, Jesus says, don't do this, is to do stuff that's good so that people see you and think you are good. And th- you know what you're looking for when you do that? Blessing. You want congratulations. You want to be accepted. Maybe you want a job, a promotion, a whatever. You're hungry and thirsting for blessing. Jesus says, if that's your motivation. You get There's another way of doing righteousness, which is what he talks about today. He says, you're like a lamp. You live beatitudinally. Which means, I hunger and thirst after Jesus and his righteousness. I hang on to him while he's hanging on to me. And even when everything else falls apart, I still pursue him. Why? So that people think I'm a swell guy? No, because so that people might understand where my hope comes from. And be eternally preserved. They might see what they need to see. Jesus says, That's how you live a beatitudinal life. In this little passage, I just love it so much. Jesus is saying, I showed you in the Beatitudes sort of who I'm going to be making you into. But now I I want you to make sure that you know why. Not just so you can be that in here, not so you're somebody different in public than you are at home or vice versa. There's a dark world out there that is rotting away. And the, the truth is probably the only chance most people will ever have to being preserved eternally is coming into contact with someone who knows Jesus and loves Jesus and loves somebody else enough to help them understand what they need to see. Jesus said, you are the preserving agent of the world. You are the light that lets people see what they need to see. We're the salt that reverses the rot and the light that allows people to see. We're not the main event. We're a catalyst that introduces another sinner to the Savior they need to know. That's why Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Be salty. You are the light of the earth. Be lit so that people can see the one they need to see. Pray with me. Lord Jesus um, as preserved ones those of us who know you as savior and we're so thankful for your grace and the salvation that comes from your cross but it's really easy to just be happy that, that's, that you've done that for us and be content like knowing we're in. Lord Jesus, I I don't want us to be unsalty salt or light under a bowl. And may we fulfill our purpose as preserving agents in a world that's rotting and lit lamps that help people see you. We love you, Lord, and thank you uh, for teaching us and convicting us about being salt and light. In your name we pray, amen.